on this episode of AB Week, how can AB integrators get involved in the smart city movement? What makes AB education exceptional? And when should the AV industry worry about 8K? All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 377. Recorded Friday, November 16th, 2018, Slow Creek. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Bayan and by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, you know her as A.V. Dawn. She is an A.V. professional, has been for many years, and she's also one of the hosts of our show, A.V. Social. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Very good to be here this evening, afternoon, afternoon. evening. Whatever. You know, it's a podcast whenever they listen to it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Nate uh, Schneider, Big Nate. Uh, he also has his own podcast, and we'll let him plug that uh, in a second, but also he's also an AV professional, uh, works in the great uh, state of Massachusetts. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, Tim. Great to be here. I look forward to uh, talking with you. Absolutely. Uh, and last but not least, a, a young man who, when I first met him, listened to every episode of AV Week from beginning to end, and God love him for doing that. Uh, his name is Chris Backus. He works for AMX by Harmon. Welcome, sir. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right, guys. We're going to kick the story off, or the, the show off here. Story um, from our friends over at SCN, uh, avnetwork.com. They, they did a report or a story on a report by Verizon Internet talking about smart cities, today's the top U.S. smart cities. And according to the report, quote, unquote, 66% of U.S. cities are investing in smart city technology, and 25% are exploring ways to implement it. And I, the reason I bring this up is the fact that there are opportunities here, at least from the way I see it, and I'll, I'll get your guys' two cents. There are opportunities here for integrators. There are opportunities here for commercial integrators to get in, and whether it is with the, the mayor's office or the city planning commission or whatever local body is it that's looking at this to get in there and show them some of the stuff that, that the audiovisual community can do. This is something that Avixa has been pounding the drum for over a year now, going to different markets and, and saying, hey, you know, AV is cool and AV can do some stuff. Nate, uh, you, 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 know, you live in, in, in and around the Boston area. What, is, what is, is one or two things that an AV professional can do and an integrator can do when it comes to showing a, a city commission or a, a mayor's office what the AV industry is capable of doing when it comes to smart cities and, and making their cities you know, more secure, but also uh, more AV friendly? That's a great question. What can an AV company do to a city? Because, uh, you know, I'm thinking about how this would actually go down and how cities operate. And, you know, I live in a small town out here in Massachusetts, and they're very much project um, driven. So they'll be like, you know, we want to build a new school. Let's, let's, you know, take a vote and see if people want to raise the taxes and build a new school and it goes through. And they're thinking about things more on a project by project um, case, 
with their blinders typically up, they might not be thinking about a parking garage that they're also building and a police station that they're building. And those things aren't related. So to answer your question, I think for an AV company to kind of come in there with a global view of, hey, what can we tie together from all these different projects you have going on and offer consulting services to say, hey, rather than look at these things in silos, here's how you could bridge the gaps and bring it all together and actually produce data that's meaningful um, to the city. Um, that, I think that's my first reaction to it as, a, as kind of an inroad. All right. Uh, Don, you've worked for integrators. You've also worked for end users as well. So take both hats there and some of what Nate said. And, and you know, when municipalities get together and they're like, you know, he's, he's not wrong. We want to build X, Y, or Z. We have to raise taxes or do a bond issue. How can integrators come in and say, you know what, here's, here's some, some things you may not think about. Or, hey, you're, you're building a parking garage, to, to use Nate's example. Have you considered, you know, camera systems or, you know, uh, card access systems or sort of some sort of smart system that allows your residents to come in and out freely and, and you know, parking and, and letting them know where their car is? How can, how can integrators do that and get in the door earlier than what they may have? Well, I, I will address the question, but first yeah. I want to make a slight correction. You said that this is a topic that Avix has been hammering on for the past year. I want to correct that because back when they were known as Infocom, there was an event they used to hold called the Infocom 100. And the uh-huh. very last Infocom 100 event in 2011, I believe, I attended. And at the time, the topic was, and, and it was laughed at by most of the attendees, incidentally, but the topic at that time was smart buildings and the future smart cities. And we're all like, well, what the heck does this have to do with AV? We're here to talk about AV. And, and all of these things that they predicted and that we discussed at that two or three day session eight years ago have come to pass and we're exceeding it now. So I think this is something that, you know, sort of like the digital signage thing. Hey, digital signage is coming and that's a great opportunity for AV people. Oh, look, DOOH and different companies came in and created their own industry and we missed the boat, but let's hurry up and try to sell something. You know, this is an area where AV could be missing the boat. And in some regards, we are, we have already missed the boat because at that session we mentioned the silo issue that Nate mentioned. And we said, who will be the silo or the field or the company, you know, that is going to be in charge of these smart entities, whether it's a building or a city. And we said that the AV companies are actually the most qualified to provide the services to be the point of contact or the overarching control of this smart thing because we're already used to integrating separate and disparate systems, bringing them together under something like AMX or one of their competitors and making it all work nice together. Whereas IT works in IT and HVAC works in HVAC and, you know, traffic lights work in traffic lights. But AV is used to working with all sorts of crazy things and then making it work together. So we said back then, AV needs to take the lead. We didn't. Now most smart buildings fall under IT. Well, now we're looking at smart cities. AV is still eminently qualified to be the ones to bring this together and to, to, to integrate these separate disparate disciplines for smart cities. We just have to realize that we have that skill set. We have to realize that we can apply what we've learned doing conference rooms and classrooms and corporate campuses and college campuses for decades and apply that to the greater IoT smart city concept. 
and bring our skills to bear. And I think as an industry, we're really missing the boat there. We need to, you know, obviously bone up on IT and, and cybersecurity type issues, but we also need to bone up on interconnect. You know, I learned what BACnet was at yep. that Infocom 2011 event, you know. How many people uh, know what BACnet is in our industry still? Not, I mean, not, yeah, you do. Those of us on the call do here, but not everybody does. You talk to some integrators and they look at you blankly. It's 2019 almost. So I think it's something where we as an industry need to step up, realize we're smarter than we think. We know more than we think we do. We're about more than just a gray box or two. And then go to the city fathers and mothers, go to the city planners, go to the organizers and say, look, there are all these great technologies out there. You can have a parking garage that doesn't just have a card access for your tenants or your residents or your businesses, but that also have smart sensors over each spot with lights that you can pull up an app and say, and I've seen this in cities, you can pull up an app and say, oh, that garage has 27 available uh, spots available. I won't waste my day driving around looking for a spot in a full garage because the app tells me it's ready to go in my city app or whatever. You know, that sort of thing's invaluable nowadays. Yep. And we can integrate these separate systems under one umbrella. You know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. We need to be stepping up on this. And so I also I, think, too, if I could jump please. in, it's going to take the city making a real decision to move in this direction and having a dedicated committee or council that is looking at the big picture, the entire, all the projects going on and finding ways that they can unify the projects or else I think right now, the way most small governments and municipalities are set up, they're set up to do lots of silos everywhere. And there's yeah. going to be fun little pockets of things like parking garages, but to really get the value add and to bring that experience of a smart city to the table, I think it's going to be a partnership between smart, savvy integrators and cities that get it and realize that they need to have people managing this on their end too. Right. But, but ba Going off of that, to answer Tim's actual question, that's where we as integrators need to step up because lots of cities, especially small ones, you know, their, their elected officials or their planning boards, they don't know what they don't know. And it's up to us to go in and start talking to them and say, hey, I work for an AV integrator, but really I'm a technology integrator. And here are things that as we're planning budgets and as we're planning master plans and comprehensive plans for the region, for the city, here's some things that... I think we could bring to the table, cite this Verizon report that, that we're discussing, cite, you know, umpteen other sur surveys of cities that are already doing this and show your city fathers and mothers, you know, your elected officials, your planning boards, all the benefits a smart city can bring both in time savings, money savings, money generation, and then how we can help them. They might not choose your company, but just by providing that input on what's available and what's possible, you become a trusted resource and that is, you know, you, once you're a trusted resource and a technology resource, you've got an in with the government. So, um, I think off of, of soapbox. <laughs> I think one of the things driving interest on behalf of the municipality um, is attracting new business to the region. Uh, and, and so I think we really had an amazing public display of this with Amazon's recent HQ2 uh, announcement, but also criteria and search. And you saw the number of cities clamoring for that. The neat thing that I thought uh, we were exposed to there was their criteria of evaluation that they were placing out before everyone publicly to see um, you know, the things they cared about, like mass transit access and uh, different 
public institutions for interns and, and things of that nature. One of those criteria, I think, moving forward will become to be this, this smart city type approach. And, and, and so from an Avixa perspective, it, it really speaks to that overall experience. Don mentioned how she, as a consumer driving in a major metropolitan area, would like to be able to look at an app and see where to go park. We've all experienced that frustration of lot full or, or something of that nature. We've got a couple of stores here locally that have that type of smart sensor over every parking spot. And I love going to those places because it's it's not frustrating. You just look down a row and you see all red or there's an occasional green and, and you know, I can just go there instead of that slow creep throughout a parking lot. Like, is there one available, right? And right. so I, I think those types of features uh, are, are on the list of cities to become attractive to new uh, to new business. Here in the North Texas area where I'm at, we've had a number of large firms migrate this way uh, because of those types of feature benefits that are in this type of region that I currently live in. But I think we're going to see it longer uh, or, or in a, a larger scale. And, and the Amazon was just really our first look at it as an outsider. I'm not on a municipality or I'm not uh, on a planning committee. I'm sure they see these types of requests often that's driving attention but it's only going to bring uh, more of those types of requests because of the awareness we saw from that from an integrator standpoint I think we've got to look at becoming that that vocal cheerleader for this type of technology within a municipality but to do that we've got to get up to speed on what those different opportunities are uh, in the language associated with so when we lead as the technologist in that conversation we can speak knowledgeably uh, and intelligently about those different technologies that we're recommending as part of an overall experience solution and so I, I really do think there's a huge evixa play and a big integrator play here but it comes back to that experience and, and you know I, and at the time that I know Tim was at the press conference for evixa name change and the, all of the unveiling and, and experience this and that and I at first was a little skeptical, but now that I've had time to process it, it really does make sense that that is absolutely our way forward of differentiation. Uh, and so I'm excited that that's our, our trajectory. And so I would agree with both of you guys. I do think the demand is increasing at the municipal level. I think it's our job as integrators to, to potentially lead that and champion that as the technologist. But um, it's going to be a combined effort here. But I think it will only grow from where we're at today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, next story here comes to us from our friends over at Commercial Integrator. QSC has opened up a new training facility in Boulder, Colorado, uh, from the article, quote, unquote, the news of QSC's new training center in Boulder, which offers a hands-on learning environment to deliver QSC ecosystem training to integrators, programmers, and consultants and end users is significant, but it's only part of QSC's unique training strategy. The, the article goes on to talk about exactly what QSC is getting into. And, and you know, the QSC is, is the backstory here. They're, they're expanding into, into different product lines and, and different um, uh, areas of the AV industry. And, and this training is, is significant for them. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you on this. And you specifically, what you do at AMX is you are a trainer. You are, you are the trainer uh, for, for AMX. And, this is something that you and I have talked a lot about, both kind of on the air, but but as you and I have, have known each other for a number of years, even off the air. Talk for a second about the importance from a manufacturer standpoint of a training facility of, of not only both remote training, but also you know bringing folks into your facility and showing them exactly how to use your products in, in what you guys consider to be a best practice way. Sure. So... Uh Today, I'm the head of product training for all of Harman Pro around the globe. And so we've got a number of different training facilities. Uh, and our goal in creating that training facility is to really serve a number of different capacities. First, we want to provide a, a controlled environment to, to teach some of these subjects. Uh, it, it depends on the manufacturer and the level of 
complexity for the product line that you would need to uh, to get into. But it's very common for our integration partners to not have all of this equipment at their desk, right? And so you rarely will have one of every bit of the product line uh, in your shop to be able to practice with and, and train on. And so bringing them into a controlled environment where we have all of the gear available for them is really, really important. Um, the other thing that the article mentions, though, is really about the online training, right? We, we really have uh, the ability to deliver training, uh, what I consider just-in-time learning, when folks are have a project that's due next week and training isn't available for another month or two, right? So how do I get up to speed on a product, even at a just minimally viable level, uh, to where I can be successful for my customer? Uh, and, and so that's where the online training really comes in handy, uh, the ability to scale that 24-7 on-demand access. But unfortunately, not everyone learns that way, right? So we have to have the ability to do instructor-led training as well. One of the nice things about bringing training into our office is the ability to have access to other resources. Um, in Boulder, they're fortunate to have access to the software developers that are writing the tools uh, that they're training on in, in that facility. So if you have a question, the hand goes up, why does it work this way? It's unbelievably powerful to go over to the gentleman or lady's desk who writes that utility and bring them into the classroom and say, I don't know, why does it work that way? And have the engineer that's the software developer explain it uh, and really give that immediate answer. And what we've seen here in, in previous things with uh, bringing in different training programs and students and having that interaction is have the ability for a student to bring up a great feature request that the developer themselves either wanted someone to justify, you know, and, and say that was a really important thing, or have the ability to say, I didn't think of that feature. Um, let me see what I can do. And we've even had instances where they come back at the end of the day and say, here's a build. What does it look like? And does it do what you want? And, and here, you can have it on a USB stick and, and we'll get it on the web soon, right? So having that type of close-knit interaction with the software engineering community right in your building and having students be able to walk into that environment is something that you really can't match anywhere else because if they were just at their office and on the phone with tech support, it's really not the same as that immediate instant gratification of why and then get an answer. Um, so we really like having that uh, facility in as many regions and locales as possible to really go out in region, reduce our partner travel cost. Then they come into us and, and when they're there, hopefully there's a resource there that makes that experience and engagement unique. Uh, and then in that uniqueness, they, they have the ability to get their questions answered. And there's a bit of brand loyalty that comes with that because now you're familiar. We have a one-on-one -on -one connection and in-person contact that just wasn't my voice on a recorded video. Well, there's also something to be said for, for in-person communication. Yes, we're using Zoom uh, to record AV Week. Uh, and we use it for, for all of our, our podcasts. And it's a great platform. Um, but there's something, there, there's a body language uh, when, when you're physically in the same, the same space, in IRL, in real life with folks that, that you don't get that, even, even with video conferencing, I don't think. So, uh, Nate and, and Don, I'm going to bring you with this. Nate, you, you first on this. What, in your opinion, makes a manufacturer's training great? You know, I think um, the comedy thing, I think QSC is onto something here with the comedy thing. I, I mean, keeping people's attention and keeping them engaged and kind of lightening the mood and breaking through the, it, it, sometimes, let's be honest, training can be dry. It can be really dry and it can be hard to stay awake. So if you've got somebody up there who has a good personality, who can read the room, who can crack a joke, has good timing, I mean, that's, those, that's, that's all part of the recipe of doing really good training. And I think, I just think back of teachers and professors that I've had in the past and some of them that are really funny. I still remember what they said in class cause it was funny. And um, so I'm just looking at that video in the link that you sent 
there's a point where he brings out a two-year-old and he said, it's so easy. Kids can program. So he brings out the two-year-old. I'm going to tweet, tweet you guys a, a screenshot of it. But yeah, I think that's the, the comedy part of it is good. But did you, did you learn anything? I mean, that, and I, I, I'm somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but yes, you remember the funny thing the professor said, but do you, do you remember what you learned in that class? Oh, I, I remember learning about compression in audio and pro-audio. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I professor, uh, he's actually um, uh, Alex Case, who's one of my professors in, in college at UMass Lowell in the sound recording technology program. And uh, he would talk about compression and he, you know, he'd play a clip from uh, the Family Guy um, root uh, intro and he'd be like, listen to this compression. And I, I still, every time I hear a Family Guy theme song, I'm like, wow, they're squashing the heck out of that. And it's just, you know, and it's... <laughs> And now when I watch it, I'm going to hear it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, you're going to hear all those nasty things that get yeah, squashed. So. All right. Don, same question to you. You've, you and I have been through similar uh, training programs. What makes, in your opinion, a manufacturer training great? Well, to Nate's point, some of it is, you know, the humor, the, 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 the sense of fun, but I don't want, all of the manufacturers and trainers out there watching this to be like, okay, I got to be Shecky now and I got to crack a joke. And I, you know, don't be that guy. Like no there, there, there is nothing worse than someone that's not funny trying to be funny or someone that's funny, but not when talking about, you know, image calculation formulas, trying to make it funny. So, you know, that sort of thing, that's not cool. But what makes a manufacturer training great to me is, and it relates to the humor is the personalities, the, the sense of passion, the um, excitement about what they're teaching. You know, if you go into a class and the teacher's like, oh, for God's sakes, we're going to be talking about compression again, then the students are going to be like, oh, for God's sakes, we're going to be talking about compression again. You know, or the, the professor might be excited or, or the instructor might be excited about the topic they're teaching, but it could be super, super dry. And you just got to find that way to lighten it up a little. You know, and, and the ability to read people, and I know as AV technician type people and engineer type people, this can be hard for those in our industry, but the ability to read people and say, okay, I've just lost the group. They're all glazed over. Okay, it's time to liven up. Let's all stand up and stretch or all, let's all, you know, pop quiz time. Let's, you know, do a quick round of Jeopardy or something to figure it out. Just something to keep the audience engaged. Um, to be able to read their, their body language, to know that they're enjoying themselves or that they're learning. And that is something that's lacking on online training most times, unless it's like a instructor-led live online training. Um, but, I, you know, in person, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. Online training, if you're a manufacturer looking for online training, I like nibbles. I know you have a lot of info to impart on me, and I want to get that info. I want to learn everything, but my time's limited and I might have 10 minutes between, you know, this meeting and that meeting. I can have a nibble. I can take a little bit of content, a chapter, uh, something, you know, a, some of the info, get it processed. Okay. Get my brain thinking about that. Go to my meeting, come back, have another nibble, you know, and that's easier for the online type education for people to understand, for people to fit into their schedules. Right. Um, I agree. So, John. I totally agree that if you have 10 minutes to hop on and learn a little nugget of something, um, you know, we've really tried to put a time hash or a timestamp into the title even of a, of a piece of content that lets you know what it is. There's nothing worse to me of saying, um, 
here's a 30 minute video and the answer's in there somewhere. Right. And, and, and so you've got to scroll ahead or, or whatever, fast forward, play at multiple speeds or even consume it and then learn that the answer wasn't in there. Right. And so that's one of the mandates that we have is to make it so just micro learning of here's the specific topic. And that way it's indexable, it's searchable uh, and you can find it and see that it's three and a half minutes long and go, oh, yeah, I can dive into that right now or I've got to come back or be mindful and plan for that. So. Thank you for saying that. It's reinforcing, uh, you know, what we're doing. So I appreciate that it's it's well received by some. So and and even worse, when you get that thirty minute video, finding out when you have an emergency and have to leave to deal with a client issue or a, a room issue, ten minutes in that, oh, for this class you can't go back and start over. You've missed that lesson or you've already watched it. So oopsie, you know, right. that's the worst. So we had to rewatch the, the the initial ten minutes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, last story here. We're going to talk about 8K. Uh, God help us all. Uh, from AV Magazine. I, I say that some tongue-in-cheek. Actually, the, the uh, Japanese uh, broadcaster is already broadcasting in, H, in 8K uh, ahead of the 2020 Olympics that's, that's held in, in Tokyo. Uh, but the very first 8K VR broadcast from the, the article, quote-unquote, has been demonstrated at the fifth World Internet Conference by China Mobile, 5G Innovation Center, and telecom company Hawaii, with VR expected to become a popular future application for 5G. We are not going to talk about 5K, uh, VR here. We are going to talk about 8K, though. And I'm actually going to go up the chain here. Uh, Don works for a, a, an end user. Nate works for uh, uh, an integration. And Bacchus is, is the manufacturer. So, Don, when does the AV industry have to start worrying about 8K? A couple years ago when it came out. <laughs> Okay. I mean, Done. But the, 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 you know, the answer, as I'm finding out as an end user more and more, is it depends. It depends on your use case. It depends on your situation. 99% of what I do here at this big end user, 8K is overkill. Heck, 4K is overkill. We're looking at a PowerPoint. Ooh, you know, that can be WUXGA. I mean, that doesn't matter. But when you're dealing with simulation, when you're dealing with, um, things like the VR, AR, you know, type things. Um, when you're dealing with some of the heavy 3D modeling, you know, I, I, I've got groups in my, in my organization doing crazy inventive things that nobody can talk about that rely on this high quality simulation type situations to develop their, their products, to test their products, to see if their products are viable in the real world, in theater or otherwise. So those situations, oh yeah, we need 8K, we need 16K, you know, we need 32K, like bring it on, the more realistic, the better um, for that situation. That's like one use case out of how many yeah. in a corporation this size. So the answer is it depends, but um, you know, you should know what's out there. You should know if you have certain customers doing certain things and not just in my vertical, you know, education, particularly um, healthcare education, when you're doing simulations, if you only have some, you know, if you only have so many cadavers and you got to teach people how to cut open and look for things, if you could do a virtual surgery, that's realistic. I mean, I'm sorry, Tim, that's kind of gross, but if you can do a virtual surgery where you can have the realistic everything and not have to rely on, yeah, all right, we got to go down to the creepy lab and do the creepy thing, but still get that education, and then you can reboot it and show a different situation in there. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing, that's fantastic. And yeah. the, the, the more the more K, the better. 
though, though I still laugh, this is 8K, 5G. And, you know, I said this on a shows a couple years ago when the 4K came out. I just always think of that old Ozzy Osbourne mobile commercial. Oh, How many bloody K are there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nate. Uh, how many? When, when do we, as the AV industry, have to start worrying about 8K? Um, when clients come to you and say, "I have a million dollars. I want 8K. Let's go." That should be the first question. Oh, you want to do 8K? Do you have a million dollars? Yes. Okay. Good. Let's proceed. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of like the state we're in right now. No, but I, I mean, I think um, it's expensive. The price will come down eventually as the technology. Um, uh, what's the word saturates the market. But um, the other thing is, I guess, thinking about 8k, what are situations where people really want to be up close um, about a nose length away from a massive screen? I mean, that's, that's how many scenarios are there or what scenarios could be enhanced in your everyday life by coming right up close to a huge display. I mean, Infocom is a, is a, is a great place to do that, but um, you know, we're spoiled. We have that experience. Most people like what, what would it be? Would it be signage? Would it be, um, you know, they're at a concert and you're enhancing that experience somehow or, uh, the movie theater. I don't know. There's, I think there's going to be new creative ways that people deploy it, but it's, it's going to be kind of off the, the beaten path of what we've historically done. Red dead, red dead redemption two or fallout 76 is, is my answer to that. Is what, <laughs> Those are video games for those of you older folks. Uh, Mr. Backus, manufacturer, uh, you guys are, are probably, you know, keep your ears uh, pretty tied to this pretty closely. When, when do we have to start worrying about 8K? I think Don's right. When it was, you know, years ago when it first came out, I was surprised in, in reading this article and researching a little bit more about it to learn that the standard was actually defined, I believe it was in 2007 by Simti. And then the first display was shown in 2012 at CES by Sharp. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the cable is now there from a DisplayPort uh, spec and an HDMI spec uh, to support the bandwidth requirements for it. Uh, so I believe that time to start has passed and it, it's time to pay attention. As for the applications, uh, I think all of this large front view LED uh, has an application there for the, the size of screens you're getting to. Uh, as far as the article itself and, and the VR element of it, uh, one inch off my eyeball, I don't know if I'm going to actually appreciate that 4k or 8k difference uh, but i think uh, the point is as a technology it's there in the market manufacturers are creating displays that support it they're shipping and so as a result our customers are going to be asking for it and so we need to be knowledgeable beyond how many k's are there and we need to be uh, you know it's 16 times the resolution of a 1080p display do we need that right and if you do for your application like nate said if you have a million dollars let's go for it uh, if not, we're at least talking them off the ledge to say, this is bleeding edge technology that you may not need in your application. We might be able to save a little money here. If having 8K is important, even just for bracking rights, that's great. Let's go down that path. We have resources and tools now in the industry to be able to do that. But if it's not critical to your environment, let's save the money, put it towards other parts of the project uh, and, and you know, really just kind of offer that value add to the, to the customer to value engineer the deal based on what they need for their application. The nice thing is we have it in our toolbox. Uh, the frustrating thing is it's likely to be finicky, like we found with some original 4K and, and just more HDMI challenges. But um, that aside, it's here. That time to start carrying has passed. We need to be carrying because product is shipping. And, yeah, yeah. and for what it's worth, sorry, Kim. No, for, what it's, for what it's worth, Nate, 
and, and Chris, up, up until about a year ago, I was right there with you laughing about, well, do you have a million dollars? Ha ha. But, you know, for some companies and for some industries, that's a rounding error. Sure. Yeah, one of the fascinating things to me was the camera to, to capture this footage, right? And so I learned that, you know, RED has already been using 8K cameras yep. for a while and that their camera is modular so I can put in an 8K sensor and take out my 4K sensor. I thought that was fantastic. I don't know what engineering went on the back end for bandwidth and, and the planes and everything that has to happen there, but I just thought that was amazing that they had thought, hey, this video standard is gonna be changing out on us and our, our equipment's expensive and let's make it modular and so you can just drop in an 8K sensor. Right on. Yeah, Red, Red has been one of the leading forefronts, at least in capture technology, uh, even back in, in 4K and it was 10 years ago, I think, when 10 12 years ago when i first saw my first four, uh first red 4k camera in in person and they, they are they are marvel to behold let's put it that way so i think honestly it it will it will the shakeout will be the olympics in, in 2020 uh between now and then sony and sharp and, and everybody else that from a display manufacturer standpoint they're gonna be st still showing it and still showing custom content but that those Olympics, I think, and the push that, that the Japanese manufacturers and the Japanese government is making, I think that will kind of uh, really determine where it goes from there. So, all right, folks, uh, that will do it for us for this week. Miss Dawn Mead, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. How do people find you if they are so inclined? Well, for the past year, I have moved to a job in the defense and aerospace market, so I can't exactly tell you where I work, so you won't find me there, but you will find me at many of VIXA events, and you will, of course, find me here on avnation.tv, hosting the AV Social Show, popping up periodically on AV Week, like today, and uh, all about the Twitterverse and the Instaverse and all of the different social medias at AV Dawn. Yeah, actually check out uh, Dawn and, and Kelly's last episode where they talk about some of the marketing communication challenges that happens with mergers and acquisitions. Not that we've had any of those in the industry this year. Or, True story. Or, or, or this week, really. Uh, uh, Mr. Nate Snyder, how do people find you, sir? Yep, so I'm a systems integration manager for uh, a, a little company that was purchased by a big company a little over a year ago. So Olympus, yep. you may have heard that name. Um, so I'm very much an integrator but we're part of the Olympus family of, uh, of companies now. And um, uh, so you can find me here in Littleton. Uh, our team is growing and we're doing some exciting things. So it's, uh, it's really fun. I got to go to Spain last month and nice. uh, meet a bunch of uh, European colleagues that work for Olympus as we uh, start to think globally. So really fun and exciting times uh, for us here as the team is growing. Um, but uh, online, you can find me at AV Shop Talk. I do a, a, a podcast, and you can follow that on Twitter if you want. I'm taking a little break from the podcasting to really uh, uh, focus on um, uh, my job right now and, and put 100% of my effort behind that because moving into uh, managing uh, takes, takes a lot of mental, more brain power than you would imagine, I think, <laughs> coming from just being a, you know, keep your head down and design systems to now think about the big picture and the business and growing the team. And it's, it's, there's a lot. So I'm taking a little break from the podcast, but there's a backlog of 50 or so episodes if you are into AV podcasts. So thanks for having me on, Tim. It's been great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you should check it out. Uh, lots of really smart people uh, have been on it and I was on once or twice. So uh, <laughs> Mr. Backus, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people find you or AMX? Uh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Uh, if you have any Harmon professional training questions, you can reach out to training help at harmonpro.com. Uh, hopefully that, that's all you need, training help at harmon.com. 
All right, very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, at this point in this season, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter because the Bears are still in first place. Uh, I normally say, you know, don't, but you know what? They're they're rocking it. So I'm I'm a big fan, and I was a big fan of the Patriots a couple of weeks ago when they when they played the Packers. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a good game, let's put it that way. Um, in all seriousness, uh, go by the website for, for more information about AV Nation. You'll find this program as well as our other weekly, uh, which is called Resi Week. It looks at the residential side of the industry, hosted by Matt Scott, Don, and Kelly's show, AV Social, and a bunch of other monthly ones. Uh, also, while you're there, check out uh, our supporters section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and New York Digital Signage Week uh, a couple weeks ago, and ISE. 2019, which happens in just about two or three months. Uh, Harmon is one of those, and we, we appreciate their support. So check all that out and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week.